Between Isaac and Jeff, there was so much passion for the game and so much excitement and so much possibility um, that it it was, I was sold by the end of it. I was a little skeptical at the start, but by the end yeah. of it, I was sold. And then for me, when I really fell in love with it is when we developed the solo version. Oh, That's when nice. I personally was like, oh, this is going to be a really cool game now. I am so excited to work on this. If you've never heard of Isaac Vega or Lindsay Road, you might have heard of their games. Isaac put out the incredibly popular Dead of Winter. Lindsay Road made Labyrinthos, which you've probably heard us talk about on our interview with Alyssa Menold. Well, they've combined forces and created what is called Rose Gauntlet Entertainment, a brand new gaming company. I sit down with Isaac and Lindsay and we talk about what they designed before they combined forces. And we also talk about their new game. The first game coming out of their studio. It's called Keystone North America. And uh, it'll be difficult to listen to this and not get excited. If you're catching this close to when the episode is released, it should be still available on Kickstarter. We've got the link in the show notes. Stick around because each of their stories are fascinating. We figure out how Isaac had a uh, crisis of careers and ended up in game design. We learn how Lindsay went from game lover to volunteering at cons to making her own games to now founding a gaming company. Both of them are delightful. We get some great insights in how the sausage is made. So how about you sit back, relax, and enjoy my discussion with Isaac and Lindsay. Enjoy. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. In a world where life hits you from all sides, you deserve time to relax, disconnect, and unplug. Pool books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we're talking to Lindsay Rode and Isaac Vega, the founders of the gaming company Rose Gauntlet. Lindsay, for close to a decade, has applied her passion for design towards making board games. She's contributed to several board games and role-playing properties and has been a tabletop game creative director and kickstarted and delivered two of her designs. And I'm a big fan of one of them uh, that uh, we just she just recently put out. I was a backer. And if you guys remember, we had um, Alyssa Minold on, who was the artist for um uh, liberanthos and uh, i'm a big fan of that so Lindsay, welcome to the third floor thank you i'm so excited to be here i've heard that your interviews are super fun so you have a high bar to reach based on everyone I've talked to, including Alyssa, on oh, how much fun good. your interviews are. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, so, uh, Lindsay, you know, there, we've got a ton of stuff to talk about, and then we've got to get to Isaac. But uh, the one thing I always like to find out is how you got here. Um, so let's start with you as a gamer. Uh, when did you when did you first consider yourself a gamer? Oh, I don't know. When I first I've been playing games for a long time, so it's really the transformation of a gamer over the course of many different variations. Um, I started playing uh, Magic the Gathering when I was 12. 
Um, I kind of, it helped me learn to read. I was a little bit behind. It helped me learn to read really well. Oh, no um, kidding. That's cool. Yeah. Also empty. I think it was about the same cost as a tutor would have been. If sure. parents had just gotten me a tutor because it like turned out to be a very expensive hobby for them and, to endorse. And you can't sell your tutor when you're done with them, but yeah. your magic cards. <laughs> so I started with magic. I was going to Friday Night Magics. Uh, I played um, Warhammer 40k as a teenager. Um, a lot of zombies with three explanation points, like any garage sale board games my brothers and I would get and have a great time with. But it wasn't until I was kind of in like my mid 20s and I had kind of left the magic scene a little bit after getting burnt out that I started playing the more modern board games. And I don't know, that's not when I became a gamer, but that's when I'm like, oh, I think I have a problem. And it's called board <laughs> game addiction. <laughs> now, do you remember a game in particular that kind of blew your mind a little bit? Um, definitely Dead of Winter was the one that made me want to become a designer. So it's so cool that Isaac and I are not business partners. That <laughs> is a very certain. No, if he wasn't surreal. here, what was the real answer to that question? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's still just so surreal. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I used to hold Isaac in very high regard. Now we work together. So it's all different. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... So what was it? What? Because I mean, I always find it interesting, right? Because I think all of us as gamers, whether it be miniature games, board games or anything, we come across a game that makes us go, holy cow, like, like the whole world's different now. And like, this is this is this is not what I thought it was. So what was it just you know, we're not going to go deep into Dead of Winter, but what was it about Dead of Winter now that you look back on it that kind of blew your mind? Um, it was two parts. One, I had never betrayed a friend before, and it felt incredibly <laughs> good. Like I just really dug the whole concept it's of in betrayal. The rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, that just really because I had never come across that mechanic, and sure. it just brought a whole other level to the game. And then the other one was just the amount of storytelling. Yeah. Um, because I am also a huge RPG fan. Um, played used to trick girlfriends at sleepovers to play D and D with me, which had varying degrees of success. <laughs> um, but it was the first game where it incorporated storytelling, which is kind of my real passion for game design yeah. um, with really, really cool mechanics. So I think that was the most mind blowing. So now let's fast forward a little bit. When did you start first start meddling and start tinkering and start uh, not playing, but making? It was the night I got home from my first day volunteering for Plat Hat Games. I stopped <laughs> by a because we were in the city. I stopped by like a. CVS or some sort of drugstore, I bought a notebook and I actually started developing Labyrinthos that first night. No um, kidding. Wow. It did. It took, I think, five years for it to actually come out. But um, that first night, Labyrinthos was the first concept and the first thing I ever showed anyone. Um, That's a good start because it's a damn good game. Yeah. <laughs> come out it of the gate strong. Back then. It was not back then when poor Isaac had to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I and, and I talked about this when I was on uh, with Alyssa because I was not familiar with you as a designer, but being a huge fan of her art and the, the I mean, she was a perfect pick for it because it gives such a neat look and feel to the game. That's why I backed it um, was because of her. And then I read the rules and started playing. I'm like, well, shit, this is actually a good game, too. <laughs> now I got to get Lizzie on the show because I think this is a very clever, clever game. Um, and at some point, what we'll probably need to do is get you back on because I would love to do a whole episode about the progression, especially knowing that you weren't real happy with it from the very beginning. But oh, no. you're not my only guest, Lindsay. So let's talk a little bit about Isaac Vega. He's been making board games for well over a decade with nine designs and multiple expansions. He sold over half a million or no. 
Yeah, half a million copies of his work. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have not played Den of Winter or Ashes Reborn games, you are missing out because apparently if you play Den of Winter, you soon be- get a chance to work with Isaac and design games, which we just learned. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac, welcome to the third floor. Thank you for having me, Craig. It's nice to be here. <laughs> so you'll, you'll, you might appreciate this, Isaac. So I... Uh, uh, Lindsay's mic is how I ended up getting connected with uh, Lindsay, and um, we uh, had a, we had a really good interview with him. And then uh, I was I didn't I did not realize I knew that they had put out Liberentos. I didn't realize that you know who Lindsay was. And long story short, I'm like I gotta get Lindsay on the show. She goes, oh, I should get my you know my my partner on as well with Rose Garland. It's like, great, let's have you both come on. And um, he goes, yeah, his name's Isaac Vega. I'm like, get the hell out of here. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a little bit of a celebrity for me, man, because I'm also, like like Lindsay, a huge fan of your work, dude. Um, oh, well, thank you. Thank so let's. You. how did that. you become a gamer and how did you transform into a designer? So, yeah, um, uh, similar to Lindsay, like I, I dabbled in some magic and stuff when I was younger. Uh, played some card games uh, and things like that, but I never really had a lot of finances growing up, so I couldn't afford uh, really engaging in those games. It was just kind of like when I was around my friends, I played the decks they gave me and things like that. Um, And then when I came back from dropping out of college, I kind of met up with those friends again from high school that had transitioned to card games and went straight into board games. And they started showing me Dominion. They started showing me... um, pandemic and puerto rico and and ticket to ride and i was like what is this world <laughs> like it's I had, amazing isn't it? i had no idea there was board games outside of monopoly and sorry yeah <laughs> um so i was just like wow this is this is really really awesome so i was just i was just absolutely hooked like they they showed me their their little collection of time that bloomed up very very quick. <laughs> they, they multiply. Um, they multiply. Yeah, and uh, we were. I was just obsessed, and it was really it, that game group was really like a very big highlight in my life during the time because I was kind of having a hard time uh, in my life during that time. So like yeah. every Friday, going over to their house and playing board games was just like a godsend. It was amazing. It's been huge for me because I'm an introvert and I'm I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm an introvert to the point where uh, it's very easy for me to talk myself out of being social. Like once I am social, I'm fine. Like, right. So, you know, five minutes before this interview, the last thing I wanted to do was talk to two of you because that's how my stupid brain works. Or that's how mm-hmm. I'm wired. But as soon as I get here, I'm like, thank God, you know, this is a great time. And board games and miniature games have been like that for me, too, Isaac, where, the, you know, you, you're forced to go out Friday night and play magic. You're forced yeah. to you, know, you make a commitment ahead of time and it, and it pushes you out there. So the same question, though, for you, Isaac, at what point did you transform and start meddling and picking up a notebook and start, you know, saying, you know, I want to I want to make something. So <laughs> I was very, very quick. <laughs> and if you're a designer, it goes very quickly. We started playing Puerto Rico at seven. <laughs> I, 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 finding out about the, the, the fact that this was something that people actually did yeah. um, for a living and looking at my circumstances in Northwest Ohio. <laughs> I was like, I'll do anything. <laughs> Why not? It's really um, funny. And I originally, I really uh, originally went to college for video game design. Oh, okay. Um, so, and uh, then after dropping out, I was kind of like disheartened from my professor saying, like, "Oh, people will never listen to your designs. You're just going to be a grunt for ten years, and then maybe one day you'll work up the ladder far enough, and then right. eventually they'll take your ideas." And I was like, 
the only reason I came here is because I had so many ideas. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to just make 3D models. That's not what I want to do. Uh, um, they were being honest with you, though. It's a, yeah, a hell they of, were. It's a they grinding much, industry. They very much were. were. Yeah. And that was, like, uh, 2005, before the indie boom of um, video games where people really thought, like, oh, two, three people can actually make a video game a reality. Um so I was just like, oh, I'll just sell insurance or do something else. Like, <laughs> like I'll just be a grown up, right? Yeah. Um, but like that design bug was always in me, and I wanted to make something. And to realize that I could do it within a cardboard box, and it's just like this paper, this is cardboard. I can do this. Like yeah. I can make this happen. Um, and honestly, those games that I mentioned earlier, Puerto Rico, Dominion, um. Tickets to Ride, uh, Battlestar Galactica, it oh, certainly inspired uh, a lot of uh, what ended up taking place in uh, Dead of Winter. Yep. Um, and there was, there was just so much inspiration within those things, and I just took everything that I absolutely loved from mechanics and the things that engaged me and started designing around those things. Um, City of Remnants is definitely a hodgepodge of a whole bunch of different mechanics that I loved That's <laughs> at great. that time. Um, and being my first design, it was crazy because like it was from... I like learned about board games and within six months I, I had signed a board game. That's incredible. That yeah. is absolutely incredible. So guys, the Insider Insights series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn about their approach to their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. So we got a little bit of an origin story. What we're going to do is gonna take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about how they got linked up together and some of the iterations that they went through on designs without each other and how that's changed now that they're working together. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So we, we kind of figured out, 
you know, how each of you found gaming and how each of you started tinkering. And I've got a sneaking suspicion. I know where this is headed based off of someone talking about volunteering for Plaid Hat Games. But when did the, the two of you first run into each other? It, well, yeah. Do you want to go first, Isaac? I don't, <laughs> go this ahead, is such Lindsay. a, I mean, we know this story really well. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was super into board games. I can't express enough how into board games I was at this point in my life. It's only gotten worse, but it was... <laughs> Everything is very new and shiny. So I wanted to go to a board game convention, but no one would go with me. And I'm like, well, if no one will go with me. Then I'll volunteer. And then people will have to be my friends for at least the eight hours I signed up for. I like how your mind works. <laughs> I like this. Um, and then when I was looking through companies to volunteer for, Plathat was accepting them for, I believe, it was either Origins or Gen Con. I don't remember. I think it might have been Gen Con. And, you know, I'm like, oh, they made Dead a winner. That's perfect. They're the best people I know. I'll go work for them. And then I met Isaac shortly after the first morning and i think by the end of that convention we were like had taken a blood oath and we're best friends <laughs> <laughs> so i mean we laugh about that but but was what was this the shared commonality just personalities clicking or honestly it was just like it, it, when you're in a convention setting and you're a small company and small business and these people have come They've donated their weekends. They've donated their vacation time. They're sending their blood, sweat, and tears, selling your game with so much more glee than you could ever have for your own brain. I wish I liked Dennis Winter as much <laughs> as she did. Exactly. <laughs> like, it, you, you can't help but appreciate that and yeah. love that. And they're just as engaged and in love with the industry as you are. And Lindsay was it was that and so much more. And she was just so I, I know that she probably doesn't think this, but she was really cool and fun. <laughs> so, so she, so was. she was. <laughs> and I really enjoyed being around her and talking to her. And we had a lot in common. We keep finding out how much we have in common. The more, more oh, we that's cool. know each yeah. other. It's crazy. And we just we like so many of the same things. And we just enjoy talking to each other. And um, obviously, like games just have an amazing way of just like you sit across the table you enjoy yourself and that time in plaid hat's history everybody was just rowdy and had a great time every night after the convention we had it, it. was we, crazy we, we had we, an we, irresponsible we... amount of fun after the convention <laughs> <laughs> there was there was great food there was great drinks there were we were having uh, and we were playing everything we possibly could yeah. on every playable space on the hotel room we were playing on the, <laughs> in hotel, the hotel hallway room. floors because yes. we filled out yes. i remember that we filled the place out we 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 destroyed that those hotel rooms, like if we were rock stars. No, that's <laughs> fantastic. Crazy. I also um, uh, how... want to point out that this was the year that Dead of Winter came out. Wow. And it was yes. also like a bond forged through the chaos yes. that was that convention, because that convention was bonkers. Yeah, like, it was it was the most successful con that we had ever had in Plat Hat's history, wow. period, because we sold out, what, in two hours? We sold like 500 remember, copies of the game. It was nuts. It was so absolutely everyone nuts. Who worked, like, everyone who worked there just became like a band of brothers. <laughs> just survival at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and this is, and I apologize for not knowing this, Isaac, but you know, what had happened there? Did just the word get out or like, or was it just an instant hit? I don't really know the history of the success of the game. So it's really interesting because like, it's kind of accidentally ended up being the most, uh, 
marketed game that Plaid Hat had ever done before then. So we had the largest playtesting group we had ever had in our history. So that was number one. Right. That was really good to getting the word out. People, people, a lot of people in the industry now were talking about it, buzzing about it. Like the playtesters were excited about it. And then as soon as we said something about it, we had all of this flood of support. Like, just like people just like, it's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. Blah, blah, you know, so there was That's so big. much support there. The game was actually named something different. It, it was dead of, always Dead of Winter, but it wasn't a Crossroads game. It was named like The Survivor Chronicles, but that ended up being a book series that we didn't want to get sued over. <laughs> like, so uh, we had to change the name and then we changed some core concepts of, of the game. The crossword cards were actually added in really, really late into the entire development process. We were actually going to go to print without them. Wow. Um, and because of that, we we halted everything after we had already kind of previewed it, which we didn't expect to do. Sure. Um, so because of that, that also just like, okay, we're previewing this way earlier than we normally did. We had so many playtesters than we normally had. Yeah. And now the buzz was already in the bu- And it kind of like came, that news kind of came out around like November-ish. So everybody was putting it on their list of like games they're excited for for twenty or whatever year. <laughs> I Isn't it, it's, it's funny how that just yeah. that can all fall together though, right? Yeah. So there was a lot of different things. Yeah. And your timing was great too, as far as like The Walking Dead was a big deal. Yes. And that had happened. Yes. That, you had that zeitgeist going on, and um, you know, the concept of a zombie board game was not new. There was a ton of zombie mm. board games. They were big. But, I remember that being like someone saying it wasn't going to make it because. It was a zombie game. Yes. That was a big and, thing. We, we got a lot of that, actually. People were like, <laughs> yeah. you should, like, especially in, like, testing, we were showing, when I was showing it to friends and things like that, they were like, I really like it, but it really shouldn't be a zombie game. Like, it was like, <laughs> I remember driving uh, driving home from an event after someone had said that to Col- uh, to me and Colby, and I was telling Colby, it's just like, it is it, it it can't be anything else. No, it can't. like it just can't. Like it's it screams zombie. Like I don't know what else. People well, are. and another confession is um, I avoided it as another zombie game mm-hmm. until until the avalanche of what you're talking about. I'm like, God damn! If one more person tells me that I need to play this stupid game, <laughs> so then I buy it. And I'm like, God, why did I wait so long? This is a really good game. Yeah, but anyway. yeah. And I think that was what everybody's hesitation was. Yeah. They knew that the market was incredibly saturated with zombie games, and like even then, like I think that was right after Zombie Side, which was like a huge mm-hmm. hit. There was lots of zombie, gr- good zombie material out there. I think like what was it Friday night? something i I don't remember that one um but there were so many other zombie games that were just doing so well um and i just knew that me and john both even discussed this that we just like there's no zombie game that's doing this well they're missing they're missing they're missing the core concept of what is engaging about the zombie theme um and that's that's why we felt like we had to bring it to market and we were incredibly excited about it and it seems like it all hit there were so many things that happened that Domino That's effect, awesome. And it ended up making it be a huge hit and, well, still, and still an amazing success uh, for me in my life. 
Well, and and you think about it too, though, and this is a reality: is that like it, just like anything, there's luck involved. But if it was a shitty game, it wouldn't have succeeded, right? Right. So, so it's a combination right. of both. Mm-hmm. So, so Lindsay, you spend uh, time at the convention, uh, slave labor at that point, indentured servitude. <laughs> that weekend it was. Um, <laughs> I just remember like Isaac running around with burgers, being like, "You get a burger, and you get a burger." And I'm like, "Don't stand up! Don't stand up! You'll be trampled." <laughs> at the end of it, you're like, "So it's a game about zombies." <laughs> we sold out the first hour um so you start working on your game and mm-hmm. i'd be curious to know uh at like at what point because you already mentioned that isaac looked at it so at what mm-hmm. point did you put it in front of isaac and what was that conversation like so i put it in front of isaac i think the second convention that we did together which was soon after because after i got the, like the bug i did a lot every convention that i could afford and had vacation oh, that's time cool. for i did them all um so it was pretty early probably too early for what it was but isaac was very kind so it was emerson i remember emerson sat down at the table and i was like oh my god that's not what i wanted it was like emerson colby and isaac so it was just like this dream team of designers with my first crappy little prototype it's like carcassonne yeah. um and i can't even describe how different it was like anyone who designs and takes it all the way to the end um yeah. i'm sure like they know like the kinds of transformations from your first iteration and how almost all of it gets thrown out and it yep. just keeps improving over the years or however length of time you have. Um, so it was really raw. It was like a memory game and you're like flipping over tiles and trying to remember where the keys were. And um, it was just about finding the four keys. There weren't characters or anything like that. Like it was just like a little out of pocket memory game. Um, but I found that I can't really do small things. It seems to be an issue with me. So it kept growing and growing and growing. Um, and then it was... I think when it when it really became Labyrinthos, the final version, or when it started to get on track for what the game was eventually going to be, um, I was just drilling the game at a bar with uh, Mike, my boyfriend, and the owner of Dogfight Games. We were just drilling the game over and over and over again. And we came up with the idea of the Minotaur and the characters and the tile rotations. Um, and then after that, it came together fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, and then I showed it to Isaac again who had some really great insights, the keys, um, covering the keys, actions and stuff. That was Oh, I brain. love that mechanic. That's yours, <laughs> yeah, Isaac. That's good. That's an Isaac mechanic. Um, um, but that's why you show it to other designers and stuff, because yeah. sometimes they think of things that, that you would have never thought of. And I showed it around cons for, I think, two years. Um, the last one I showed it. Yeah, the last one I showed it to was at Shucks. The last Shucks that uh, happened before COVID. And everyone just loved it. And I'm like, well, I think... It's done. It's a good game. And like I said, I didn't buy it because I thought it was going to be a good game. I got, bought it because I thought it was going to be a pretty game. And I was absolutely delighted. I was absolutely oh, delighted. Awesome. And I've been exposed to so many games, Lindsay. And it it's not easy for me to go, oh, that's clever. Like, that's clever. Like, there's little mm-hmm. touches that you have in the game. And like, at some point, we're going to have you on and we're going to talk all about it. But there's there's some neat little um Stuff that you don't read in the rules that you see when you play the game. Uh, and I love games that I can read the rules and I can understand it. And then, like, I play it a second time and I'm like, oh, now this makes sense. <laughs> Let's play again. <laughs> you know, yeah, I love uh, and it. it's it's full of that, which is great. But now, you know, for Dead of Winter and Isaac, it's a much different process to bring that to life. Right. Um, because of, you know, where Isaac was and, you know, and things like that. It, it was a much different process for you, though. Um, so can you just kind of give us an idea of when you said, OK, this is this is done. I'm, I'm going to want to put this out to the world. What did that look like? So I remember uh, John and I had been working on it and I told John 
we can't show Colby for a while. I didn't want, I didn't want to, like, I very much wanted to always keep my designs, like, away from the Plaid Hat team up until I felt like, this is signable, I will get a contract at the end of this conversation. (laughs) Um, I like to be in that zone, especially for Dead of Winter and Ashes. Like, I wanted to be in a very, very good place. Right. Um, Just because... Like I had already known Colby's, uh, like his his his, uh, his style, like what he liked and things like that. Um, so I was just like, I'm just gonna wait because I know it's not ready yet. Um, and it's always easier to have the conversation when you know you're probably gonna get a yes. Sure. <laughs> so we actually premiered it the first time at a Gen Con around like Colby, and we had Bistro there, who's like designed a dungeon run for Plaid Hat Games. He's nice. co- my co designer on Forgotten Waters as well. Um, uh, we had Jerry, uh, who's done multiple Mice and Mystics games and, and a whole bunch of amazing things uh, for Plaid Hat. Um, and Chad, our sculptor, <laughs> who's done pretty much all the sculpting uh, for Plaid Hat and Colby as well. And I was just like, okay, it was perfect time. They're all tired. They're all a little drunk. It's perfect. <laughs> Let's, go ahead and show. Let's go ahead and show them. And uh, we had uh, the game was still very different. Crossword cards weren't implemented yet. Sure, there were. Um, there's definitely some things uh, that you know got refined throughout that process, and that was still about, I think, probably a year and a half, two years before the game actually went into production. From that point, but we show we uh, we showed uh, all of them. And they were just blown away and so, having so much fun. And the betrayer concept was getting them. And they were like, ah, oh, who's, who's doing this? And like trying to figure, <laughs> trying to figure out who amongst them was, sure. <laughs> was the one betraying everything. And they were just so engaged. And at that point, we, like Colby was already on board. Yep. <laughs> and they were just incredibly excited. They had a few notes and we took those notes and we kept iterating 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 and just got to the next level and uh yeah uh that game that game certainly was one of the hardest ones to work on but it was also like there was just so much love around it from the entire team that's great um right from the beginning and to have like it it was a rare instance in that part of our history to have everyone there so it was great that the first opportunity to show everyone was Gen Con because everybody lived in different places at yep. that time. Um, so it was fantastic to have everybody around the table and be able to get all of their feedback because they're all great, great. Un- uh, they were all great at bringing, bringing what, all of the projects that we had at Plaid Hat to life. So how about for you, Lindsay? You didn't have Plaid Hat to publish your game. Did you think about bringing it to Plaid Hat or bringing it to another company? Or was it always a, I'm going to do this by myself on Kickstarter? Yeah, I definitely thought about it. Um, Isaac had seen it, obviously. Um, and then I had talked to, I think, Portal Games or Stronghold. I don't think they were part of Portal yet. Uh, Stronghold Games about it and uh, a few other companies and stuff. But when it, when push came to shove, I really wanted Alyssa to be the artist. This is and like this is just how picky I am. I really wanted Alyssa to be the artist because I'd always envisioned her. We worked together at Weird a ton and we were really close. And I'd always built the game with her art in my mind. And so Isn't when, that push, cool? yeah, when push came to shove, I just like couldn't give the baby away. I was like, there was no guarantee they were going to take Alyssa as the artist. This is your game. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I ended up talking to, to Dogma Games and, you know, I'm like, hey, uh, do you mind if I put this out through you guys? You know, like I'll make sure that we don't lose money on it. But I just want to be in control of every part of the development. And this, awesome. I really, 
just needed it to be exactly um, my baby, which is probably why I started a company as well with Isaac, because I cannot let my designs go. <laughs> like it's a real problem. So it's really good that you didn't get into the computer game industry to go back to what Isaac was talking about, no, because was, you owe nothing there. Right. Yeah. No, it would have been so hard to like see it executed in a way that I didn't envision. That would have been really hard. And that's what happens when you sign it. That's well, just, so just, I'd be curious for you then, Lindsay, um, because like I would be I would feel the same way as you if I was in your position. I would have a very hard time you know, uh, giving away creative control of stuff. There's, uh, I, I don't let people mess with my, I wish I had more help on here, but quite, quite frankly, I, I couldn't handle it because I would just end up, you know, saying, look, look, I forget it. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. What about like during the iteration process then? It, 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 how is it getting feedback? How is it getting someone, how hard is it for you to hear someone say, yeah, that's not working, Lindsay? You're like, like yeah, that's, that, that, I mean, is, it, is the constructive criticism in the iteration process difficult for you? It was at the beginning, I think, uh, taking that criticism and especially filtering out what's important and what yeah. is just kind of the noise um, is something that all designers have to learn early on. And it's a skill. You get better at it. You get more practiced at it. Um, I had a game that come out came out before that didn't do too great. And so I got like, you know, the bad reviews and everything. And I, so I had that out of the way. That's um, good. Yeah. And like kind of build up a little bit of a thick skin and stuff. Um, so at this point. I feel fairly confident saying that feedback, um, I'm pretty good at processing it. It doesn't really bother me. Uh, designers are really tough on each other. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, but like we just are. I think we just tend to look at problems and we don't have a lot of time because most of this testing happens at cons when you actually have access to a lot of different brains at once. Makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be a designer, you definitely need to get good at feedback, but it is a skill you can get good at. If you're not good at it now, you just need to keep practicing and just remember that everyone who's playing it wants it to be the best thing possible. They're on your side, right? Yeah, which they is, really which is are. A, an important thing to keep in mind. So there's yeah. something, and I'd be curious, both Isaac and Lindsay, for your, your thoughts on this. I've heard this several times that uh, as designers, playtesters do a great job of figuring out what's wrong with the game and do a terrible job of telling you how to fix it. Very, very true. Is it? Okay. <laughs> it's really, I've heard that a lot. That, telling that, you how that, to fix it isn't really what they do at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes there's been some great ideas that have come out of playtesters. Uh, so it's not it's not necessarily 100% sure. perfect. There were some there were some aspects of the battle uh, battle system that came came from one of the youngest playtesters I've ever had on my team. He was like 14. And he was like, why don't you just do this? And I was like, oh my God, that solves all our problems. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so it's not like it's impossible. Um, there's certainly there's certainly um, amazing, amazing people out there that also have great ideas. Um, and I, I'm not a person. I know that a lot of designers are very much like, I don't want to hear anything. Yep. Like, don't say it. Like, I'm not a person that's like that. I'm like... I'm willing to hear like so many things inspire me and I never know if it's like going to be those things. So I don't want to cut, cut off any sort of like inspiration potential. Um, but you have to filter yeah. it like, 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 like Lindsay was saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's just a, there's just a, a lot that we have to be, we have at the end of the day, we're the ones who are making those decisions and we know more than, more than anyone else what the intention is behind the design. And sometimes if we know that like, oh, this is a problem that you're having, you may want the game to go in this direction, but that not, might not be my intention or the feeling that I want to bring across. Right. But I know by you having this experience, 
I'm not creating the feeling that I originally intended to do. So I need to make changes that are going to go back in that direction. Right. And it's funny, like every time we kind of follow that process, people are so in love with the end product oh, that's cool. anyways. So yeah. it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. you, I very rarely feel like, ah, they should have done this. You know, they still, for the most part, they're like, yes, you guys made the right decision. So I, I love hearing that. That makes me feel very, very good. <laughs> uh, I bet it does. So Lindsay, do you think, so that's talking about play testers, right? Do you think designers are the same way when you, when designers are critiquing other designers games, are they better at pointing out the problems than they are offering solutions or designers just say, look, you need to fix this and push it back to you. Um, it depends, but overall designers can give, I think more accurate feedback because just because they understand the process more. Like right. mm -hmm. when you're testing with a designer, they'll say, what's your budget? Like, cause they didn't, cause you might not have the money for the idea they're about to tell you, Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Or something like that. Like they just have, I think an, a bigger overall perspective of how the whole process works. So they're like, what's your timeline? You're not going to be able to come up with a book that fast. Don't worry about it. Let's come up with a different idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of times they can just articulate why they think this is a good change, a little bit better than a playtester. Like a playtester will often say, like, I didn't have fun and I got frustrated. And that's really good feedback that you need to yep. know. But a designer will say, I didn't have fun. And I think it's because near the end, I didn't feel like I had a lot of options left to make interesting, interesting decisions. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, like one is a little bit more concise than the other. Um, so the playtesters kind of like let you you get a gist of what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. And you try to ask questions that will help them steer themselves into better feedback for you. Yep. But a designer is like they just they just have more of they just have more experience at the end of the day. Yeah. And they know the language, more, right? They yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they, yes. And what's what's also great, too, is that they have. They have they are looking at games when they're playing a game with a more critical eye just in general. So they can they have a giant resource library that they can pull back into. Have you played this? They right. did this in this very interesting way, but it wasn't really utilized in the right way. And it's like, no, I've never played that. I'm gonna go play these XXX games. I often walk away from those sessions with like 30 other games to play just in order to understand my game just a little bit better. Sure. Sure. So real quick, before we take a break, when did Rose Gauntlet come to life? So what point, who approached whom, when did, when, when was the seed planted? <laughs> All right. I'll try to answer this one really quickly because it's a long process. Um, so Lindsay and I have always wanted to work together. Um, we, we talked constantly throughout different, different uh, points. Every time we'd like meet up at a con or something. And it's like, oh, it'd be so cool to work together on this or this or this. But we never knew it would exactly form into Rose Gauntlet, right? Um, we, we had always dreamed to work together, but however we can make that happen, that's awesome. Yeah, so when the pandemic happens and I left Plaid Hat Games, that's when we started to really have a more serious discussion about like, hey, like, I'm really thinking about doing this. Do you want to, do you want to be a part of it? And Lindsay was kind of like in the same boat. Obviously, the pandemic let us both <laughs> have a moment of what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> What's yeah. going on? Um, it was and, great for like the crisis of, am I doing something I really want to be doing? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Cause yep. uh, life is short and <laughs> who knows what's going to happen next. Yep. <laughs> um, so in the summer of 2020, we really started discussing it very, very seriously. And then around um, August, September, I called Lindsay and said, we're doing this. It's going to happen. 
was we're starting in like two weeks. <laughs> like here's 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 a here's a giant Wrong mind number. Map that I'm <laughs> <laughs> he lied too. It started the next day. It's true. I did. I did say two weeks. Then I threw you a mind map the next day. It was oh, like here's all the different crap that we're going to do. I had a ten year plan the next day with up to fifty employees sketched out over ten years. And I was like, cool. And, and named. He named every one of those fifty. <laughs> First, we're going to hire Susan because Susan's great. <laughs> yeah it was crazy it, was, it went so fast once it really once we had really decided to do it it went so fast well, after that yeah, you guys are giving me the timeline here and i'm astounded that that wasn't that long ago no uh, <laughs> so let's take a quick break and let's talk about keystone north america and how we can spend a summer deciding we're going to start a company and then kickstart a game less than a year later so we'll be right back <laughs> Hi, I'm Alexander Zdanchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifaux 3rd Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Hey, it's time to welcome some of the newest floor heads to our Patreon. Big thanks goes out to Joe Root, Alan Cardinal, Raven Zato, Richard Beach, Philip Savoy, Patrick Allen, Third, Sean P. Kelly, Jesse Raviki, James Kahn, Rage Quit Wire, Doc Royal, Lois Centron, Robo Rotten, and Jacob Suderman. Because of you and the hundred plus other patrons, we're able to put out content on a weekly basis. Thank you. So it looks, it sounds like you guys had about 10 minutes to form the company, make some decisions about what the company is going to look like. You get, you get the mind map, Lindsay, um, was uh, Keystone North America part of that mind map? No, not at all. That was another curveball that Isaac threw me <laughs> shortly after the mind map. We so, were... yeah, oh, go, go ahead, Isaac. Lindsay. No, you tell the story so well. <laughs> so it, it was, it was so random because like also at the same time, like, Jeff Joyce, another volunteer for Plaid Hat that we had kind of both, uh, you know, become friends with. And uh, we were both randomly kind of mentoring and design throughout the summer. We and we didn't, didn't know, know we were both mentoring. We didn't know that at the time. That's <laughs> so, funny. So he had been showing us uh, this game, um, Keystone, and I was like, okay, it's good. Whatever. Never thinking that it would be something that we'd sign. Um, and just like... Yeah, that's good. You should go here. You should go there. You should, you know, show these other companies. Um, and then by the time it came to the process where, like, we were going to start this company, it was like a week later that Jeff was like, oh, can I show you a new iteration? And I was like, sure. Why not? And I was like, and at that point, I already told him to go to different companies and like, wow. pitch, and he wasn't having success. Like, that wasn't working out. They were like, oh, our submission process is closed. This is not going to work out. Like, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> too bad for them. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Um, uh, yeah, he showed me a version of the game that I thought, like, oh, this this could be something that works. At that point, Lindsay and I had sh- uh, created our core values. Um, we had been been very um, intentional with wanting to make sure that everything that we brought to the company was going to check off all of those core values. That's cool. Um, and be part of uh, Rose Gauntlet with an intention that really met that goal. Because everything we plan on doing within Rose Gauntlet is going to be in a lot of different directions, but they all need to check off these main core values. Um, and Jeff's games hit all those marks. And so Isaac, before you, yeah. So what was it when, so you, you played an early iteration of it and you said perfectly fine, go sell it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brings back this new one and something clicked for you, Isaac. So I'd be curious or, and Lindsay as well, like, what was it that you saw in this, in this iteration of the game that made you seriously take a look at this thing and say, this, we're going to back this thing. You know, it's interesting because I think it was it was more the passion that Jeff no had around the project. He is incredibly enthusiastic about animal conservation, hmm. animal education, um, and letting people know about you know different ways of living in order to help animals. Um, he he is absolutely has learned. We have learned so much from his enthusiasm. That's cool um, around the game. And there's that, and then, like, the game was also hitting some mechanical um, strategy notes that I had not played before, and I thought were really going to hit in the market in a certain way. It was definitely also hitting on the kind of in the space of a lot of games that I enjoyed. Like, I'm a huge fan of Wingspan, I love Azul, I love Century, kind of these introductory midway euros good games <laughs> you know they're, they're, they're fantastic they're some yeah. of my favorites and uh some of the things that i've been really engaging with over the last few years and uh his game was kind of hitting those notes and i thought with the right adjustments it could be formed into that game now originally we thought oh it'll work like this but then we started doing the thing that we normally do. Now we're going to go ahead and beat it up. <laughs> Show oh, it to all of our designer friends. And it cracked and, hard. And it cracked <laughs> it it real hard. Yeah, yes. it was a little scary, but we got it. We got it back together. Yeah, wow. one, of the things, one of the things that we learned from this process, honestly, is that we shouldn't have signed the game when we did, huh. to be completely honest. Isn't like, um, it, we probably should have waited longer, had more iterations, more time. So um, it, it wasn't baked. It wasn't quite baked. Mm-mm. And yeah. one of the reasons one of the reasons that I came on as a co-designer, because I'm listed as a co-designer on the game now, is to make it baked. Yeah. <laughs> to make that process work in the timetable that we were hoping uh, to make it work. Originally, like, that's not really kind of the way that we want to approach yep. bringing new projects in. We want to make sure that there's more there's more refinement there um but we were just kind of excited to work with jeff excited about the concept excited about the theme excited about the potential of working with some interesting partners that the board game industry doesn't necessarily work with um different foundations and uh conservation um efforts that were going on and we just really wanted to see this game come to life and we did everything within our power to make that happen (laughs) well you sure (laughs) did so so lindsay i'd be curious when did it first land on your desk and 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 how did isaac drop it um, he dropped it with a lot of passion and a two hour video call. Wow. <laughs> um, it was, I mean, between Isaac and Jeff, there was so much passion for the game and so much excitement and so much possibility um, that it, 
it was I was sold by the end of it. I was a little skeptical at the start, but by the end yeah. of it, I was sold. And then for me, when I really fell in love with it is when we developed the solo version. Mm. That's oh, when nice. I personally was like, oh, this is going to be a really cool game now. I am so excited to work on this. Um, so it was really at that point, because that's when we involved the stories and we started like really educating people about North American um, environmental issues and stuff. And <laughs> it was just so cool. So I was I was into it before. But when we did the solo version, that's when like the vision really came together for me. And I was like, I see where this game can go. You're right. It's going to be awesome. I'm yeah. So and at that point, I kind of already started coming in on the design and starting making some considerable adjustments as well. So, Lindsay, uh, it had to have been uh educational and interesting but not fun to watch the game get broken and put back together again well i mean it's it's always panic inducing when a game breaks yeah. I don't, like i find i always thought it was just my games were panic inducing when they break but apparently any <laughs> game that you're in charge of is panic inducing when it breaks any um, game. and i think like we had just thought it was further along because like isaac and i we're not perfect we're still learning too sure um and uh I think that's that's really cool and, and good. And like people should know that, like no matter how successful we look, Isaac and I still learn all the time. Um, but you stop being good when you stop learning. I mean, that's just the reality. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a scary moment. But like the thing is, I knew we were always going to be able to get there because Isaac and I like my games have broken worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I know Isaac's games. Oh, I yes. have seen have broken worse than that. Like, oh, yes. Like, I knew that no matter what, the team was going to be able to get it there and we were going to be just fine. And that's as great. long, and that's why the passion meant more than the fine tuning of those, um, those mechanics, because we couldn't fake or build the passion if we didn't feel it. But like, right. we can fix the mechanics. We've done that a thousand times for yeah. a bunch of things. Yeah. And that and that's the thing too, like it, it, it's, it speaks volumes um, that we were willing to work with Jeff because knowing Jeff, having, having had him volunteer in the past and um, having him come out to dinners with us and knowing him, it does help because yeah. signing a designer is like, Getting into a marriage, like it's going to be a long-term contract. Yep. You are here with us. If this game is successful, even more so. Yeah, you know. Um, and uh, having known that throughout the last ten years of working at Plaid Hat, I've known that like we want to make sure that we're working with great people. In addition, and his passion for it has been absolutely amazing. We've learned so much from That's from cool. working with him. We've absolutely we've learned so much, and I'm so excited uh, for everybody to get uh, Jeff's fun facts that we've added into the future. <laughs> so so many fun facts. <laughs> I'm now realizing because I've been so anxious to talk about kind of the process this game went through. We haven't told anybody what the damn game is. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, Isaac, can you give us kind of an overview for the listeners? Uh, give them an idea of what uh, Keystone North America is. Yeah, uh, Keystone North America is a strategy set collection game in which players will be taking new animals from the field, placing them on their player boards in order to gain points and create amazing sets of ecosystems in order to gain awesome points. They also get to utilize skills as field biologists that are going to allow them to provide better ecosystems for their animals, research those animals, and complete their secret objectives. They also have the opportunity to gain these awesome wild cards that if they can't quite find the right chains, they can bring them all together through these wild cards if they need to. There's also an amazing solo component of the game that allows players to play through the first year of a field biologist's 
um, junior field biologist time in the field, learning different aspects and different efforts that are be t being taken place across North America to help these animals that are keystone animals, um, endangered and threatened animals and other animals throughout the North America that need a special assistance ecosystems that need to be taken care of and just different research and day-to-day -day lives that these field biologists have to go through um, in a kind of heightened way. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Well, what's interesting to me about that is it's two things. One, I'm hearing mechanics that I like and I'm familiar with, but I'm also not hearing a Reiner Knizia painted on theme. It sounds no. to me like the theme of the game is very much integrated into the design as well, which I think is super yes, exciting. Yes, and that was actually one of the big challenges originally in starting the game. Um, one of the things that we were very much trying to make happen is that all of the animals, the, eco the, the habitats that they have on their carts or the habitats they live in, right. if they are threatened or endangered, they are threatened or endangered currently, as far as like 2020, those lists change all the time. Um, and uh, if they're keystone animals, they're keystone animals, which doesn't necessarily, life isn't always a perfect balance. <laughs> yeah, that was the hardest game of balance I've ever done. I bet. Yes. So it took a lot of time, and this, this is where we give a lot of kudos to Jeff, um, to research all of these animals. We have over 60 individual species within wow. the game and more that you unlock throughout the solo campaign. Um, and all of that research in order to find the perfect animals to put in the game in order to provide the best balance with all of those different symbols that are combined. Um, it is certainly like the, the best effort that we can possibly do in order to engage all of that and still hopefully provide even more expansion material as things move forward. We've also brought on... Um, uh, uh, a guy named Joe, who's also helping us with um, uh, additional resources. He's a biologist as well. Awesome. <laughs> and he's he's helping us double check that we made all those right decisions, That's which good. Um, luckily, for the most part, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> Joe's pretty happy with us right now. He said so. he uh, appreciated how much we talked about Florida being a horrible place to work in the summer as a biologist. <laughs> Like, <laughs> you knew the code word, right? That yeah, Florida, like, Florida like, sucks. I, I appreciate the research that went into the story campaign because Florida is a terrible assignment to get in the summer. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, um, obviously, for for those listening, if you're listening to this the week that the episode comes out, uh, we've got about a week or so left on the Kickstarter itself. There's a link in the show notes to the Kickstarter. I'll be blasting it, obviously, on Twitter and Facebook. But before we close out, Lindsay, um, I feel a little bit of a kinship with you and your passion for board games because I like as you were talking about falling in love and like buying every game in the world and like going broke. I'm like, yeah, I've, I, I, that's me. That's what happened to me. I found, you know, <laughs> I, I, I found a game and then like I bought every game. And right. And I, you're I, like I'm, me because it's not just board games. You do the war game. Oh, like, it's it's oh, horrible. Yeah, it's yeah. everything. I, I hate money. Like I hate <laughs> money. Like with a passion. <laughs> what I, what I want to close with though, Lindsay, is um, as somebody um like me who has played a lot of games right we've we've bought a lot of games we've played a lot of games what for listeners um listening right now what's unique about keystone north america i heard a lot of stuff that sounds comfortable and like i, I like what isaac was saying i'm like those are the games i like too but for somebody like you Lindsay, who's played so many games what can you think of one thing that was like this is what makes this game different um, for me personally, it's definitely the solo campaign. Yeah, because it is a it's twenty missions. They're all puzzly. Oh they wow! All have, yeah, it's twenty missions long. It's a full story. You're gonna play oh. through an entire story of every assignment this field journal or this uh, field biologist goes through. All the locations. They're all heavily researched. They've been looked over by biologists, but all of them have like special rules. 
Oh, so, that's cool. Like you're gonna play um one where there's something on the other side of these things called research tokens, which are played in multiplayer, but on the other side there's something called the story token. And we use story tokens to come up with all the special, like, oh, we'll put a story token on this, and you're gonna have to fly your bees around and you're gonna have to move all these story tokens around. Things like that. And I think for me personally, that is the most exciting and innovative part of the game. Um, Because I've never played a solo version that wasn't... I've never done a a game that's either a solo game, and that's it. It's all it is. And you kind of have a little bit of that experience. um, Or you have the multiplayer game and the solo is kind of like, oh, just see if you can beat your high score. Correct. So to have a full campaign plus like, I love RPGs. And I've done a lot of like, I've done writing for RPGs, stuff like that. So like, there's a lot of that love because I can't help myself poured into that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, and, you know, when you told me that there was a solo thing, and when I hear a game that's multiplayer that has a solo, I automatically think of exactly what you said. And then when you start talking about different campaigns, and there's 20, I'm like, holy crap, yeah. this, is, this is fully envelopes, fleshed out. Yeah, secret envelopes, if you do your oh, thing, so, and you, you get secret well, envelopes. Bluehaven secret envelope yeah, thing going? You get, to, like, nice. yeah, you get to open your secret envelopes in solo, and you get to oh, add them to the cool. future assignments and stuff. It's very cool. Oh, that's great. So if, as you guys heard um, early on, I've already committed, because I want to talk to Lindsay about a, a lot of things, including the role-playing game stuff. I mean, there's so much more I want to talk to. Isaac, there's a ton of stuff. I want to learn a lot of the, the dirty secrets of a lot of the iter- <laughs> creations and iterations of your games. One of my favorite things is, is learning how the sausage is made, which we did a little bit here, but I'm going to, we're going to do it a little bit more. So everybody listening, we can look forward to having them back again. We've got the links uh, to the Kickstarter. It's Keystone North America. Uh, you've got about a little over a week, depending on when you're catching this, to uh, to get over there. Um, guys, a, a fantastic time. I really appreciate you both making the time. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, you so much. You us. certainly lived up to your fun reputation. So nice job. I will report to my friends that it did not disappoint, and I said I would come back on. <laughs> the mic's going to turn off. She's going to turn the mic and go, dude, he was awful. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I will never trust you again. <laughs> All right. And for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Guys, if you told me it was two years ago, I would have believed you. That's incredible. Yeah, it's been so fast. We work a lot. No wonder you're tired and want to stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wrap it up, shipman. Yeah, it depends when two workaholics team up. I think oh, it's just, sure. just kind of reckless. All right, so what we'll do? We'll do this last. We'll do the last thing on Keystone. Then we'll plug the Kickstarter. Um, you can plan on this. Let me just quickly look at my calendar. Um, it's the twelfth. So I will, ha- and this is running till the end of June, the Kickstarter is, is that right? Correct. All right, so let's June 17th, play. it's going to be a 30-day Kickstarter. June 17th is when it ends. Correct. Yes. Okay. So this, what I'll do is I'll have this release in the first week, uh, probably on June 1st. 
awesome. It's probably when I'll have this drop. So that's the time frame we'll talk in. Is like you know the Kickstarter will be ending soon in the, in the next week or so, and mm-hmm. uh, as we talk through it, because that's when it will go live. Okay. Sounds cool. good. All right, beautiful. Right. So we had a terrible time getting comfortable and conversational, but we'll get through this. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely perfect. Um, this is exactly what I like on my podcast. So awesome. I appreciate it. Um, all right. So I kind of I'm trying to think of where I want to do this. All right. So here's all right. So I'm going to put you I'm going to put you guys both against the wall. I'm going to have you guys have to commit to me. You're both will come back and talk about. Uh, Labyrinthos and talk about Dead of Winter and the other stuff. Does that I'm sound okay good? good? Are you good with All that, right. Isaac? Yeah. Right. I All have right. to go. Even though you're an outcast player. <laughs> outcast player. <laughs> Even though you're an outcast player, I will forgive you. <laughs> I will come back. <laughs> I don't play outcast. Who told you that? <laughs> um, yeah, perfect. All right. Great. Um, all right, good. So that what, what then I'll do, that, instead of focusing on those then, because we've time to talk about them a little bit, Let's talk about you getting together and the forming of the company and kind of the we'll lay the groundwork and then we'll do Keystone for the last segment. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Awesome. And the good news is I'm booked for recordings until like September. So you got a ton of time without having to deal with me. (laughs) (laughs) You get the whole summer off. I'll forget how to play with Brindos by then. You know, it's funny you say that because like uh, there's some times where I feel a little bit bad because I have people on like I had Steve Jackson on right from Steve Jackson games. And like I wanted to talk about GURPS. And poor Steve Jackson is like the last fucking thing I want to talk about. Is groups. <laughs> I made that like 30 years ago, asshole. <laughs> Gauntlet. Now, Lindsay, for close to a decade, has applied her passion for design towards making board games. She's contributed to several board games and role playing game. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Yeah, I messed all that up. I'm going to start again. you still here look uh the podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers well i mean if you're here might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to i do appreciate you sticking around take care <laughs>